No, he did that on purpose. When I hear Orlando say, oh yeah, I hear the end, but no. It's good to be kept guessing. I appreciate that. Keep us on our toes. Hey, we're glad you're here this morning. If you are a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us this morning. We are spending a few weeks in a sermon series where we are focusing on some of the foundational truths found in the book of Romans. Not all of them by any stretch, just some of the truths that Paul shares in the book of Romans. And I told you last week that this particular series will not be verse by verse, won't be chapter by chapter. Instead, we're going to cut to the chase. We're just going to jump to a few of those things that Paul talks about that, that are so important to his audience. He was writing in the year A.D. 55-56 to a group of Christians. This is a letter written to Christians, written to a church living in Rome. And there were some things that Paul wanted this group of Christians to know living in Rome, A.D. 55. And there's some things that I think the Holy Spirit wants us to know living in Tampa, Eighty twenty twenty four, And this book of Romans is different than the other letters that Paul wrote. Uh, typically, Paul would write a letter to a church that he had either established or at least visited, and he would spend part of those letters reminding them of some things that he had taught them. When it comes to the church in Rome, Paul had never been there, not when he wrote the letter. Uh, he very much wanted to go to Rome, and just a few years later, he would go to Rome as a prisoner, but at the writing of this letter, Paul has yet to have visited Rome. So he doesn't know these people personally, and they don't know him either, except by reputation. Last week, we, we cut to the chase, the very end of the book of Romans, where Paul talks about the importance of love. This morning, we're going to cut to the chase at the very beginning of the book of Romans. Um, again, Paul doesn't know these people. They don't know him. So Paul is going to introduce himself first. Before Paul starts introducing things about Jesus, Paul is going to introduce himself to this group of Christians. And one of the things that Paul is going to say about himself is happens to be the chase that we're cutting to this morning. It's the uh, anchor text for us this morning, and I appreciate Orlando leading that song because it leads perfectly into this verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, here's what you need to know about me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You need to know this about me, Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in this gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, and he quotes the prophet Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Paul claims, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, what exactly is the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of? What's he talking about when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? I could explain that to you, but I'm going to let Paul tell you what he means when he says the gospel. Uh, in another letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth, he says this in chapter 15. Now, brothers, 
I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, and here it comes. Here comes what Paul considers to be the gospel. I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. As far as Paul is concerned, the gospel is the salvation-releasing story of Jesus. That's what Paul considered the gospel to be. The story of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that, that story that, that leads to salvation. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I want you to think about the last time that you were ashamed. Or maybe a better question is, when's the last time that you were embarrassed? Because we all get embarrassed, right? I was a little bit embarrassed like two, three minutes ago when I started to come up here. But everybody gets embarrassed, right? Um, my family will tell you that I don't embarrass easily. I get embarrassed. I've been very embarrassed a few times, but I really don't embarrass very easily. I think the main reason is I lack such self-awareness. <laughs> I don't realize I should be embarrassed you know, when those times come. However... I am married to someone who gets embarrassed very easily. Martha, my wife, does not like any attention drawn to her. Uh, she graduated from a very large high school in Birmingham, Alabama. She was voted most bashful of her entire senior class. And I only tell you that today because she's not here. <laughs> Because if I told you that and she was here, you all would be looking right here where she was sitting and she would be quietly smiling. But when we got in the car to go home, she would not be smiling. And she would not be quiet. So don't tell her I, I said that this morning, okay? <laughs> of course she's watching, I'm sure. The good news is she is really good at forgiving me. Uh, but my point is, we all get embarrassed, right? And when we get embarrassed, we don't want attention drawn to ourselves. We would like to sort of shrink back and, and disappear. We'd like to hide a little bit. You know, when you're walking down a sidewalk and you trip, you fall down, what's the first thing you do when you get up? You look around to see if anybody saw you trip, right? And if nobody saw you, then okay. No big deal. But if a bunch of people see you, then that's a different story. In fact, if you want to know if you're... I, I heard this, and it's so true because I've experienced it. If you want to know if you're young or old, fall down in public. If people laugh, you're young. If they panic, you're old. But when we get embarrassed, our inclination is to shrink back, to blend in. But Paul understands these Christians who are living in Rome, they're not going to be able to shrink back. And they are not going to be able to hide. They're not going to be able to blend in. They were going to stand out. And the reason why they were going to stand out, 
a lot of it has to do with the city in the time of Rome itself. It is impossible for me to overstate just the depravity of the city of Rome in the first century. Uh, you know, we're aware of sort of the moral decline that we see here in America. Listen, we are a long way from the city of Rome. In the first century, that was such a hedonistic environment. People were living for their own pleasure. And I could share with you some of the things that were commonplace in the city of Rome in the first century, but I'm not going to do any of that because it would be incredibly uh, inappropriate in a setting like this. Just trust me when I say it was bad. It was really bad. And in that cesspool of lifestyle, here come these Jesus followers. And they're trying to live like Jesus. And they're trying to treat people like Jesus treated people. And they're trying to talk and to look like Jesus. And of course, immediately, they're sort of you know, singled out as being narrow-minded, killjoys, judgmental, intolerant. I mean, they only worshipped one God for crying out loud. Everybody knows there's you know, hundreds of gods. And add to that, these were first-generation Christians. This, this Christian lifestyle, this wasn't something that was passed down to them from the grandparents or even their parents. They didn't have anyone sharing their faith with, you know, with other people and with, with them as they were growing up. They didn't have other people that, you know, who were uh, aligned and allegiant to Jesus. Their family, their friends, their acquaintances... They had to look at these Christians and think, what, what's going on? What's wrong with you guys? You know, why, are you, why are you living this way? Why aren't you living this way? And you can see there would be sort of a temptation to, to shrink back, to blend in, to feel a little bit embarrassed. And some of you understand that better than others. Because some of you are living that right now. Some of you have coworkers. And friends, and maybe even family, that looks at your lifestyle and looks at your choices, looks at your uh, priorities, and they say, I don't get it. I don't get why you live your life that way. I don't get why you spend your money that way. I don't get why you're, why you're doing this. It, it goes against, you know, everything else that, you know, everyone else is doing. Paul gets that. Paul gets it probably better than anyone. He knows what it's like to go against the grain. He preaches the gospel in Philippi. And he's thrown in prison. He preaches the gospel in Thessalonica. He's run out of town. He preaches the gospel in Athens, and he is ridiculed, and he's belittled. Five times he's beaten with, with whips. Three times he's beaten with rods. He preaches the gospel in, in um, uh, Lystra, and they drag him out to the edge of town and stone him, assume that he's dead. And even after all that, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to be talking about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed to be sharing that message. And in Romans chapter 1, he is going to tell us why he is not ashamed of the gospel. And I think he's going to give us a blueprint on how we can have that same bold faith. And he actually gives us the first reason why he's not ashamed of the gospel before he even dips his pen into the inkwell a second time. 
the very beginning of this letter. Look how Paul introduces himself to the church there in Rome. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul introduces himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Again, he doesn't know these people. They don't know him except by reputation. So right out of the gate, he says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, the word there in the Greek that is translated in the NIV as servant is the Greek word doulos. There's actually six different Greek words that Paul could have used that translates servant, and doulos isn't one of them. In fact, if you're reading from an older translation, it won't say servant. It will say bond servant. But we don't know exactly what a bond servant is because that's not a phrase that we use. If you're reading from a newer translation, the word translated doulos there is the word slave. And that is a much more accurate translation of the word doulos. Take a look at how the New Living Translation um, Words, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul. Jesus Christ's slave, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Paul introduces himself right off the bat. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now in our country, we have a very ugly history when it comes to slavery, but that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying, I have chosen to become a slave to Christ Jesus. And you read that and you think, is that really how you want to introduce yourself to a group of people you don't know, Paul? You know, it's almost as if Paul could use some lessons in resume writing, right? I'm not sure I'd lead with that. But Paul is a smart guy. And he's very intentional with his words. The Holy Spirit's involved as well. And Paul says, this is what I'm leading with. This is what I want you to know about me. I am a slave to Christ Jesus. And Paul knew the difference between a servant and a slave. A servant is someone who works for someone else. A slave is someone who's owned by someone else. Later on in this same letter, Romans chapter 6, Paul is going to say we're all slaves to something. We all are. Either we're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or we're slaves to righteousness. Paul begins his letter by saying, I'm a slave to Jesus. And the people that he's writing to, his church in Rome, they understood the slave-master relationship. It is estimated that a third of the population in Rome during the first century were slaves. Which means there were as many as 300,000 slaves living in Rome when Paul wrote this letter. About a million people in Rome in the first century. It's possible that as many as 300,000 of them were slaves. There would have been slaves within the church that Paul was writing to. And Paul says, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. You know, no one asks a slave, who do you work for? They ask a slave, who owns you? Paul says, Jesus is my owner. He is my master. He is my Lord. And Paul understood slaves don't negotiate. Slaves don't say, I don't do weekends and I don't do windows. 
Slaves do what the master wants them to do. And Paul says, I've been sent out to preach the gospel. I've been sent to preach the good news. In other writings, Paul would talk about the fact that he has died to himself. Here's the thing about dead people. They don't embarrass easily, do they? (laughs) Someone who's dead, it's pretty hard to make that person feel ashamed. Paul understood people aren't accepting or rejecting me. They're accepting or rejecting my master. They're accepting or rejecting Jesus. I'm just a messenger. I'm just sharing good news. Now, you might not like the Amazon thing that you get next week when you open the package, but don't blame the delivery guy. He's just a delivery. He's just bringing it to your doorstep. Paul says, I'm, I'm just sharing the good news. Whether you accept it or reject it, that's not on me. It's not my message. It's the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'll give you another reason why Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. And it's actually right in our anchor text. And he actually tells us exactly why he's not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because... (laughs) Here's why. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The gospel doesn't just tell us about the power of God. It doesn't just show us the power of God. Paul says it is the power of God. There's power in the gospel to everyone who believes. And, and for some reason, that fact makes a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot of people want to, to dumb down the gospel. They want to water it down. They want to somehow make it more palatable to you know, the culture that we're living in. And as a result, a lot of people settle for a gospel that is less than. They settle for a gospel that, that makes them feel good. Settle for a gospel that lines up pretty closely with the culture that we're living in. And when Christians become ashamed of the gospel, it results in a message that is devoid of power. It's completely lost the power. When people are afraid of speaking up, when people are afraid of standing out, afraid of living a life of righteousness, there's no power in that. And I, I get it, okay? I understand. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be made to feel ashamed. We don't, we don't want to stand out. We don't want people to, to look at us differently, to treat us differently. But as Christians, we're called to be different. Because the gospel, the message, is so different than what the world is selling. What makes the gospel so powerful isn't that it's just like our culture. It is nothing like our culture. What makes the gospel powerful isn't that it lines up so perfectly with public opinion. Or it matches whatever the, you know, the, the latest celebrity might be saying. That's not what makes the gospel powerful. And as a church, we'll never be relevant trying to massage the word of God so that it lines up with the latest poll or so that it lines up with you know, popular opinion. 
I think that's actually what would make us irrelevant. If we're trying to be like everyone else, then there's nothing different in the message that, that we're sharing. But the world needs something different. Broken people like us. We need something different. We need something with power. A couple years ago when Martha and I and Marcia and my siblings traveled to the Holy Land, we found out pretty quickly that there were a lot of people there selling stuff to people like us, tourists. And it was sort of interesting that everywhere we went, people were selling pretty much the same stuff. No matter where we were, different place, different people, different prices, but it's pretty much the same stuff. And one of the ladies in our group asked one of these vendors, why does everyone sell the same thing? Why don't you sell something different? And this guy looked at her like she was crazy. And I don't remember word for word his response, but it was basically along the line of, why would I sell something different when this is what everyone's buying? You know, look down the line here. This is what everyone's buying. So this is what I'm going to sell, which, of course, made him irrelevant, right? Now, I know that analogy breaks down pretty quickly, but my point is, as a church, we're not ashamed of the message that we're sharing, and we're not ashamed that it might be different than what everyone else is selling, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, and I certainly don't mean to sound arrogant, but I'm just convinced that the gospel, as laid out exactly like it is in the New Testament, is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. It is what it is, it says what it says, it does what it promises to do. A Christian writer by the name of D.A. Carson writes about churches who, in an effort to be relevant, have watered down the gospel. He calls it domesticating the gospel. We have domesticated the gospel when we talk about God, but we don't talk about Jesus. And we have domesticated the gospel when we talk about salvation, but we don't talk about sin. And we've domesticated the gospel when we talk about repentance, but we leave out baptism. And we've domesticated the gospel when we ignore the Holy Spirit just because so many people have misrepresented the Holy Spirit. And we've domesticated the gospel when we turn the message of self-surrender into this message of self-help. And we've domesticated the gospel when we're more concerned about offending someone than we are about sharing with them the life-saving message of Jesus. Amen. When we start thinking that the mission of the church is just somehow to make me happy. So I expect to hear what I want to hear, and I expect to sing what I want to sing, and I want to sit by people who are just like me. And we've domesticated the gospel when we turn it into a moral code. Just a list of do's and don'ts. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, then for the Gentile, which is an issue of chronology, not priority. But Paul says the power of the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone who believes. So, we're not ashamed of the gospel. 
And when we find ourselves feeling ashamed of the gospel, then we are sharing a message that has lost its power. I think one reason why Paul was so unashamed was because he'd experienced that power. You look at the difference between Saul of Tarsus, murder of Christians, and the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament. It's night and day. Paul knew exactly what the message of Jesus, Paul knew exactly what the blood of Jesus not just represented, but what it did in his life. How radically it's changed his life. And he said, I'm not going to apologize for that. We don't apologize for the, the gospel. We stand on the gospel. We stand on the word of God. We don't apologize for it. And the reason why is it's good news, right? That's the definition of the gospel. The good news. And the moment that the gospel stops being good news and starts sounding like a raw deal is the moment that we're not sharing the gospel anymore. We are a privileged people. God has been so good to us. God has been so generous with us. So we need to agree with Paul. And this morning, if you're willing, we're going to agree with Paul. I'm going to ask you to stand up. If you're willing, we're going to say this together. If you don't mean it, don't say it. We're not taking names. But we're going to say Romans 1, 16 as a church together. Here we go. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew then for the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I hope you aren't either. As a church, if we can help you in any way, we're going to sing a song. We're already standing. Let's be singing.